Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. We've got an amazing episode ahead, and I know you're going to love this one. Today I'm joined by Brian Gallagher. Brian is a physical therapist, and he specializes in physical therapy practice management, executive coaching. He's a licensed business management coach. He does all kinds of amazing things. And today Brian and I are teaming up to talk a little bit more on the business and career and entrepreneurship versus entrepreneurship side of life because at the end of the day health and fitness is essential so is career satisfaction and at a time in life when you know burnout numbers are going up and people are just unsatisfied with what they're doing we need to find a way to address that and help people relearn to love what they do on a daily basis so this is a great episode addressing something that i feel we all need to hear and i know you're going to love it so enjoy the episode Brian, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to work with you today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm really uh, blessed and I feel grateful that you selected me to spend some time with you today. Definitely. Like I've said, you know, I've heard a ton of amazing things about you and about Meg and everything that you've been doing. But for those who aren't familiar, would you mind filling them in a little bit about who you are and all the incredible stuff you do? Absolutely. I can give a quick little synopsis of the history, bring us up to today. But I'll tell you, I was just a few minutes late getting over here to join you here on this podcast because I was talking to a gentleman in New York and he's literally one year out of school. He's got a mobile PT practice and he's listening to, you know, the fact that we can do billing for him and virtual front desk services and then coaching and helping him. And so he stops me and he's like, I feel like I need all of this, but I need to ask you this question. If I was your son, and I'm like, oh, goodness gracious, my son. I was like, okay, maybe I'm that old. If I was your son, he says, what advice would you give me? What guidance would you give me? Because I want to trust that you're advising me to do what you would advise any family member to do. And I looked into the camera and I said, whether you're my son or not, or aunt, uncle, cousin, brother, sister, there's no chance I would ever give you any bit of advice that wouldn't be in the optimal beneficial state for you. Like I would never recommend you do anything that's not going to advance you. And he's like, oh, that's what I love about listening to your podcast. And I'm like, well, that's what you should love about the people that you surround yourself with. So when you asked me to explain a little bit about me, you know, I grew up in a very hard childhood. You know, we were on welfare and my mom was raising three boys on her own. We had government cheese, bread, butter, the whole thing, the food stamp program, the student lunch program. And I made a, I made a, like a pinky swear with myself when I was like 12 years old. And I said, whatever it takes, I am not going to live this life. Like I'm going to live a life of doing right by others. I'm going to live a life of giving more in value than I ever expect in return. And I just knew that when people see that in you, they want to be along with you. And so that always helped me to become like, captains of teams that I played on or leaders in organizations that I participated in. Even when I didn't think I was going to be, I, I remember I got selected for jury duty. And of course I'm the foreman. Right. And I was like, my wife's like, you're totally going to be the foreman. I'm like, I am not going to be the foreman. I'm going to sit quietly. I'm going to sit on my hands. I'm going to listen to the cases and I'm going to vote like it. And sure enough, I was voted the foreman of the thing. But I think it just turns out to be a, a factor of beingness. And when I graduated PT school in 92, I just wanted to be, again, this idea of beingness, I wanted to be the best physical therapist I could be. So I did 33 con ed courses in my first three or four years out of PT school. 
I quit my job after five years. I opened up like a staffing company where I run around doing home health. I started hiring a bunch of people before I knew it. I had 19 contracts. It took over my whole basement. I ended up opening my first clinic, my second clinic. And that's when my wife put her hands on my shoulders and said, we're 85,000 in debt. We're losing $5,000 a month. And she said, you know what, honey? Taking another con ed course is not going to make this a better business. You know, I had two clinics, I had 30 some contracts and she was right. We never got the tools, the training that would result in skill development of how to be an owner, entrepreneur, CEO, executive, manager, all of that into one is what it takes to be successful in business. And we just simply didn't get it. We as a whole, majority of us go into private practice being a darn good therapist thinking that's enough and i go to work every day being a therapist who happens to own a practice and i realized after spending one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars in two years of training with multiple groups i realized i needed to walk into work being a ceo who happens to be a pt and once i did that my business grew by 3.3 million dollars and i sold it for six million dollars when i was 38 years old and i never looked back I ended up buying it back for a dollar. I ran it back up, made it practice of the year in 2011. And I have been in and out of over 500 offices nationwide. And now my purpose, which has been for a very, very long time, all the way back to the beginning, is to do two things, Daniel, as, as we are here on your podcast. I want to help as many therapists as possible live the life that they've always envisioned for themselves. And like you and I talked about earlier off the air, that could be an entrepreneur, that could be an entrepreneur. You could be within somebody else's organization, flourishing and prospering, have a profit sharing program on a program development that you created, that you ran with, or you could just go out and open up your own bricks and mortar or mobile PT practice or cash-based practice. I will help you on any of it. It's just the goal for me is to have you live the life you've always envisioned for yourself. And then number two, is to advance the profession of physical therapy any way I can. So that's a little bit about me. And I designed a company called Meg Business Management that does you know, billing, credentialing, virtual front desk contracting, marketing and website design, and of course, coaching. Those are our five services that we do. And that kind of brings you up to today. That's awesome. And I really appreciate how you're transparent about your own past failures and how you've learned and evolved from them. You know, I think a lot of people can relate to seeing, you know, substantial amounts of debt or seeing money come out quicker than it comes in. And it can be scary for them. However, it should re it should be reassuring to them to know that they're working with someone who's actually been in their place before and can relate to them. Um, I think that takes your own ability to coach a business to another level. And, you know, as you were kind of talking there, I think we would both agree that a lot of PTs, um, but really on a more broad scale, almost a lot of different people, a lot of different professions that I think of right now, a lot of people are just feeling burnt out in general in life. You know, they're working these jobs or leading these lives that are just unfulfilling to them. They're unsatisfied with what they're doing. Do you have any kind of ideas to what might be contributing to that or why we're seeing that so much, especially in like the PT field? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you hit the nail on the head. You know, WebPT did an awesome uh, review of this. It was called the State of Rehab Report for 2022. And I did a podcast with Heidi. So I, I definitely would like your listeners to possibly look that one up on our library at Physical Therapy Private Practice Secrets at Top 10%. And listen to Heidi and I talk about this because 
I believe the statistic off the top of my head is 17% of PTs are currently looking outside the profession for their next career move. And why is that, right? Like, why, like, what is the answer to that? I think all too often we tend to look at um, our work, our, our industry as the way I succeed is by doing more. You know, if I run faster on this treadmill, I can make more money. If I make more money, I live a slightly better life, right? That's a false premise because it just turns into a hustle. And so I think people feeling burnt out is caused by two factors. Number one, maybe three. In my opinion, number one, they lack vision. The owner is lacking vision to facilitate the professional growth and development of that physical therapist or any business, really. If you're working in a company for somebody else, that owner owes it to you to invest in you so that you're expanding both personally and professionally. In what way, what ladder, what's the next rung in your professional ladder that is being dangled in front of you, that is being given to you as an opportunity? Because I think that's what's going to avoid burnout because the game becomes an infinite game of growth and development, both personally and professionally. So I think too many owners fail to recognize that that's one of their greatest responsibilities. Um, and then number two, company culture. I think people take jobs and stay in jobs when they're working with people that they know, like, and trust. Okay. So if you're an owner or a clinical manager and you're not very transparent with your staff, it's very hard to really trust you and, and, and really engage in, and have that company culture where you have this high degree of loyalty because you're not being very trustworthy. You know, um, Daniel, if you're, you know, I don't know your situation, but if it's your girlfriend, fiance, wife, significant other, whomever says, Hey, I'm leaving to go, you know, get some bread, milk and eggs. I'll be back in 15 minutes and three hours goes by and that significant other's not answering their phone. You're not sitting there thinking that they won the lottery and they're down at McCleary's pub buying rounds for everybody. You're thinking they got a flat tire. They, they broke down. Heaven forbid something bad happened. Your staff does the same thing. And that adds to burnout in the area of absence of information in the area of mystery. They will dub in the worst thoughts. Oh, you just want us to do this because you want to make more money. You want us to charge more because you want us to bring in more gross income or hit your statistical targets. No, that's not what it is. There's not a physical therapist on planet earth that does billing. You only treat your patients, you write your notes, and then you codify what you did. That's it. And I think if we can communicate that more, then we're more all on the same page because living to work or working to live, you know, you, you threw that out there. I think it really depends on your viewpoint, right? I think people have to see that this job is enhancing me both personally and professionally, and we owe it to them to, to communicate how that is happening. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Brian. You hit the nail on the head, especially with the communication and cultural pieces. You know, mm -hmm. I was at a uh, clinic when I was a student up in New York. Uh, shout out to Brian Hathaway of Peak Performance. Um, and his overall culture and environment in that clinic was like nothing I've ever experienced before. I mean, he's got PTs who are excited, energetic, and happy to come in at 545 in the morning and right. treat. Yeah. And most people are, you know, in bed, not even sure what the yeah. day is going to hold for them yet. And yet everyone is excited and energetic and enthusiastic. And that's something that can be very difficult to create, but it can be done. And I think that's the 
you know, on this point, I think that's the big takeaway for people is, you know, you don't have to live your entire life counting down the days until the weekend or chasing a job where it's just a perpetual cycle of more, do more, do more, because eventually you're going to hit a point where you break and bend and snap and you just can't take anymore. So instead of, you know, running on that hamster wheel for, you know, weeks, months, years, however long it's been, why not try and find a better alternative solution that's going to make you happier and just contribute to a better quality of life in all aspects for yourself, not just your patients. You know, we talk about quality of life for patients all the time, but how often do we consider that with ourselves? How good of a care can we provide to our patients if we can't even take care of ourselves at the end of the day, right? Yeah, in 2017, there was a survey done of millennials. And what came out of the survey was the net result was the two things that were most important to the millennials. Now we got Xennials and whoever knows what's coming next, right? But what the two most important things came was I want to have a job that is optimally organized, that has organization. I know where I stand. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know who to go to with what. I know what the metrics are. I know what the statistics are. And, uh, I know the policies are all well known. Again, that transparency, that transparency that breeds trust, right? Again, they want organization. They don't want all this guesswork. I don't know how to ask for time off. I don't know what's allowed. I don't know what's not allowed. They want it all spelled out and massively organized. And number two, they want to do that in an environment that encourages their own autonomy. So it almost sounds like a micro, it sounds like an oxymoron, right? I want all of the systems of control put in on me, all this discipline put in on me, but I want to have the freedom of autonomy. And when you think about it, it's really not a conflict. It really makes a lot of sense. Basically saying, give me the rules of the road to live by, but let me paint my car any color I want. Let me change the seats how I want. Let me play whatever music I want. Let us decide if we wanna have Jersey Fridays or we wanna have happy hour parties with the staff once a month, or we wanna do a pumpkin carving contest or a jelly bean counting. Every single month pretty much has a holiday. And if you're not celebrating some game with your staff, you're losing them. They feel like it's work. They feel like it's not work when there's some game, some activity, some challenge that's not necessarily related to treating patients, doing notes and doing another eval. I think you're starting to see this in some companies, but not every company is shifting to a, I would say, almost fun first model or trying to make work not feel like work. Um, so yeah. I'm sure there's someone listening who is look is looking at this their situation and saying, hey, you know, should I start my own practice? Should I start my own clinic? What should I do? Would you say that, you know, entrepreneurship is the answer or is it okay to, as you mentioned before, the role of say an intrapreneurship, could you use like an intrapreneurship type situation to kind of cultivate a better life for yourself and take control of some of these things like we've discussed so far? I do. I, I think there's three types of people in, 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 in our, in our private sector business world, not, not including the governmentally employed people. Let's set them aside. If we're just looking at the private sector people, there's the workers, people who want to come to work, put in my time, get paid a fair dollar for a fair day's labor. And I want to go home and I want to have this other life with my wife and children or husband and son and daughter and whomever significant other, I get it. Um, and that's their degree of aspiration. You know, I, I have a college roommate who's in the same job working for the same company that we graduated 30 years ago from, right? And 
who's to say he's not happy, right? He's completely happy and content, right? And if you're happy and content and, and that's your, your man, check that box, well done. Then there's another group of people that are like, you know, I'm just a little risk adverse of putting my money out there and laying it all on the line. But man, I got a lot of creative juices in me. I got a lot of thoughts and ideas. I got a lot more ability than just working a 40 hour week treatment schedule, so to speak. I'm very interested in pelvic floor. I'm very interested in vestibular. I'm very interested in dry needling. I want to start an aftercare program and bring on, you know, performance fitness trainers and I'll manage them and I'll run that. Well, those people, you got to harness that, man. That's like your racehorse. That is your leading race dog right there in a positive sense. Um, that is your that is the person you really want to surround yourself with and encourage that creative entrepreneurialism. Give them a bonus uh, system, a, a compensation model where they're reaping the benefits or reaping the rewards of their gains, right? Maybe a profit sharing, a shadow stock arrangement, um, those sorts of things. I'm not a big fan of partnerships because it involves lawyers and redoing the operating agreement. And then if there's a divorce, who gets the kids? And it just becomes a whole problem in the practice. I'd rather just give them a net profit sharing program. And if anybody wants to learn more, you can reach out and I can show you some models that work really well. One of them I got from the dentist industry. It works really well. But then there's those of us that are, you know, maybe it's you, Daniel, it definitely was me. And working for somebody else, I was blissfully discontent. I was blissful at what I was doing. I liked treating patients. I liked my coworkers. I liked the company culture, but I just felt like I didn't own anything. I felt like I was on a lease car forever. And I'm like, yes, it's a nice car, but it's not really my car. I got to turn it in at some point. When you have that DNA, you have to be true to yourself and you have to be honest and sincere with your partner and say, I am not going to live the fullest me. I'm not going to have the fullest life if I don't just go do this, if I don't just learn how to be an owner and CEO and let me leverage some money and let me create some future tomorrow. Because when you do live the life of an entrepreneur and you create, whether it's a mobile PT practice, cash base, hybrid insurance model, I don't care. You hold the steering wheel. You hold the steering wheel. You make the turns. You adjust the speed. You don't have someone telling you when to come to work, when it's time to take a lunch, when you can have a vacation, what your compensation package should or shouldn't be, um, when I can have a lot, you know, I time off, all that stuff. You own it now. You, you know, I never missed a daughter, one of my daughter's recitals. I never missed their horseback riding lessons because I owned my company and I was able to adjust my schedule according to that. So I do think there's three types of people. And I think all of them can live very, very happy lives. They just need to be sincere and true to themselves. But by all means, if you do that entrepreneur, it's about learning what you need to know in advance of needing to know it. And that's why I designed the four keys to business success. You know, one of the things that I really have learned from a young age anyways, is if you're an entrepreneur or entrepreneur type person, the main way to success, at least for me so far, and you might disagree with it, and you have a lot more experience than I do. So you hold more weight than I do here. Um, has been burning the boats, as we like to call it, or just going in and no retreat, is if you're going to make the jump into an entrepreneur type model, you're going to have to leave the comfort of knowing that you're going to get a guaranteed paycheck. You might have to leave behind a benefits package or paid time off for a short period of time. And same thing with the entrepreneur type of uh, agreement. You know, if you have a 
profit share model for a new clinic, you might have to put in some hours in order to grow that clinic where it's actually going to financially be successful for you. Um, but you have to take that leap of faith. You have to take that jump. I think more often than not, people are told why they shouldn't do something or, you know, don't do it because X, Y, or Z, or, you know, just stay in the current situation you're in. I know you're not happy. I know you're not satisfied, but, you know, at least you have two weeks of paid time off a year, or, you know, at least you have health insurance coverage. And while those are all essential things, if you want more, you have have to make the jump, I would say. Yeah. And, and you, you, the key word there is if you want more, if, if you're, if you're content, there's no need for you to operate outside your comfort level. Right. My daughter was talking to a friend last night, dinner was over and she was just wrapping it up, getting ready to walk out the door. And they were chatting a little bit. And my daughter was encouraging her to do something. And her friend said, you know, I know I have to do it. It's just, it's so far outside my comfort zone. And my daughter says to her, I was so proud of her. I'm like, oh, she's been listening to my podcast. <laughs> she says to her, um, yes, but you realize the greatest things that will ever happen to you in your life are those moments in time when you're doing something outside your comfort zone. When you operate routinely inside your comfort zone, everything in life comes to you as predictable. It's within your reach already. It's in your comfort zone. You're only stretching that far. When somebody says, well, I can't leave my job. I've got this you know, $85,000 a year job or $90,000 a year job with a 401k and profit you know, matching, matching dollar for dollar 401k. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds to me like you're polishing the inside bars of your prison cell. Because if that's all your life has to hold for you is a $95,000 position with a 401k, good luck with that. Like to me, if you have like, and I'm only speaking to the entrepreneurs now, if you have that entrepreneurial DNA where you just know you have to be holding that steering wheel and drive your future, then don't hesitate because of the two most common things that hold us back, time and money. Well, I don't have time to go to the gym. I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to come on, man. If exercise and health and, and optimum health is that important to you, you will find time for it. And money, don't let green paper with dead presidents hold you back. I mean, seriously, don't have emotion connected to money. Use your time and use your money to leverage your advancement in the areas that you're stepping outside your comfort zone in. The greatest returns in your life will come from that. Most businesses peak in 10 years. I started my business when I was 28. I sold it when I was 38, right at its peak. And I never thought I would have sold my business for $6 million. I never thought in a million years that would happen. But would your 401k ever, your 401k wouldn't reach 120th of that. I don't care how much money you put into it. It's just not going to happen. So if you are that DNA, then you just need to get the training. Like I said, skill development training, not, you know, books and YouTube videos, but really learn the skills necessary to be an entrepreneur and a CEO of your own practice, because then you are in control of your future. Definitely. And you mentioned before that you have a few laws of success or rules that you kind of live by and promote to uh, your coaching clients. Would you mind sharing a little bit about what those rules are that you use for success and how you kind of implement them? The, the backbone of it is though that you know if i was to share with you my my biggest thoughts and it's a book i'm writing and it's called the four keys to business success right mm -hmm. and and i think i might change the title to the four powerful steps of a practice owner or something like that 
and and they're in order. The, the first thing one needs to understand when they're going into and they're going to leave their job and do something for themselves is the environment. What is the environment you want to go into? Is it a mobile PT environment? Is it a cash environment? Is it a hybrid model environment? Um, what do you need? What kind of tables do you need? What kind of space do you need? How many production centers is a 1500 square foot space going to give you compared to a 2000 square foot space? And there's metrics, right? Like your rent should never be greater than your monthly GI or your annual GI. Whatever you spend in rent for the whole year should be less than 10%, should be less than 10% of your overall gross income that you collect, right? Your operating costs should be less than 10% of your overall income that you generate, right? Payroll should be less than 60%, ideally 50%. So you learn these laws, you learn these metrics, and that's part of, you know, when you're looking at the environment, you got to build a performa. Now that brings you into the second key to success, which is structure. Well, who do I have to hire? In what order do I hire them? How much do I afford? Can I afford to pay them? You know, as I said, I was just talking to a gentleman who's doing mobile PT and he's like, well, I can do much better mobile PT than I can in bricks and mortar because there's just a limited number of patients you can see in bricks and mortar. And I'm thinking about those two structural models. And I'm like, wait a minute, I don't quite understand where you're going with that. A mobile PT therapist can only see seven to eight visits a day. A bricks and mortar outpatient orthopedic family practice practitioner can see 12 to 16 a day, depending on where you are in the country, right? Depending on how you run your schedule, right? So somewhere between 12 to 16, 12 to 14 is the most typical, right? So I was like, I don't get that. That has to do with your calendar and your structure. And then that brings you to the personnel, you know? And I said to this person, mobile PT, you're hiring the therapists who are pretty solo-minded people. They're exchanging time for money. They're not really interested in a company culture and a group think and a, and a whole societal on-purpose thing because they're out there doing their gig work is how it is. They're all by themselves in a car driving around. It's not the same thing. And so know your personnel, know how to read people, know how to actually encourage them to live the better life for themselves. And then the thing that I get asked a ton about is key, successful key number four, systems of operation. Brian, what's the most ideal schedule? Well, I don't know. In certain parts of the country, it's seeing a patient every half hour coming in and keeping them 55 to 65 minutes. In other parts of the country, if you're going to go one-on-one -on -one exclusively, it's a 40-minute schedule. Mathematically, a 40-minute schedule every 40 minutes seeing another patient is mathematically the optimal way to go about. Now, if you're talking systems of treatment, now, if you're women's health or you're just pelvic floor or you're something like that, or you're all neuro or all peds, you know, that would dictate it into a different direction, but that gives you a little bit of a foundation, you know, environment, structure, personnel, and systems of operation. And knowing what goes into each one of those sections can really benefit you quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. I love that system that you broke down from environment to the overall structure to the personnel, and then ultimately having a system in place to, you know, cover all of those things. Because naturally, if you are going the entrepreneur route, I would imagine it would become very difficult to grow and expand if you don't have a system established in the first place. People come in with all these ideas, all the, I want to do it like this, I want to do it, but they don't think through, well, what's the structure I need to support that? Or what's the environment I need to support that structure? Or what kind of, like this person wants to have a nationwide mobile PT practice. Hey, that's great, but what does it take to do that? And how many people actually want to do that? <laughs> you know, so it's like the systems can really get you pretty excited, but you got to think of the infrastructure. Would, would you say, so as we're talking about a lot of these things, I'm just trying to take myself and put myself in the shoes of the listener who might be, you know, hearing all this 
awesome stuff that we're sharing about entrepreneurship or intrapreneurship. And as we kind of alluded to before, they might be anxious. They might be concerned about taking that jump or the leap of faith. Is that a normal response? Is it normal for people to, you know, lose sleep a couple nights, be nervous over making some kind of big change in their life like this? Or, um, you know, if it's, even if it is normal, what should they be doing to try and help, you know, reassure themselves that they're on their, uh, that they're on the right path? Is there any kind of like litmus test or anything like that that you like to give people? To answer your first question, is it normal to have some degree of anxiety when you're changing careers? Absolutely. And, and that's what you're doing. You're changing careers from being a staff therapist because, you know, I, I say this all the time. If I take a snapshot of you today and I take a snapshot of you five years from now, what's going to change? right? If, if you're still a clinician, you're still a treating therapist, maybe you're making $5,000 more, but you're doing the same thing you were doing five years ago. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you have that entrepreneurial spirit, you have that DNA and you're blissfully discontent, you're going to get frustrated and you're going to be like, why did I wait these five years? Why have I been slow rolling this? Why have I been using such a long runway? If you know that's in the cards for you, if you know that's what you want in your future, then today is your new tomorrow. You need to do that. In my opinion, I... You know, I feel like time is a wasting, right? You might as well get started. So how do you get over the anxiety of it? Well, let's look at what you're really risking. Most of my startup private practice owners spend between 35 to $100,000. That's it. 35, you know, a Tesla can cost you more than that, right? I mean, the plaid edition, especially, right? So, you know, for the cost of a car, you could literally get into private practice and be successful. Now, we've never had a startup fail. Going all the way back to 2006, when we started helping people launch into private practice, we got 100% success rate. I think I've done 28 startups in the last 30 months. So for me, it's a guaranteed success. Like I've never had anybody not succeed. So to me, it's just a different position. But if in fact, you're going to go into private practice, what you did first before you became a PT is you went to PT school. You went to PT school. And you had professors who had been PTs for some years and had quite a bit of experience and quite a bit of knowledge teach you all about the each and every section of PT, neuro, ortho, modalities, exercise, phys, anatomy. You got all of that training and you spent $150,000 on average to come out to get that 70, 75,000 position treating patients, right? That, that, that staff position. So you got all the knowledge you needed so you could walk in day one being an effective treating therapist. What have you done, asking your listeners right now, what have you done as a manager, an executive, an entrepreneur, a leader, what have you done to develop your CEO skills, your entrepreneurial skills, your managerial skills, your personal recruiting skills, your billing manager skills, your ethics and compliance officer skills? What have you done to ensure your success in the five divisions of starting a business because every business, I don't care what it is. It's a lemonade stand, Coca-Cola or physical therapy. You've got an administrative communications division. You've got a marketing and branding division. Number two, you've got a finance division. Number three, you've got a production division. Number four, and you've got an executive division and quality control division. They're combined number five. So the better able you are to run through those linear columns of divisions is the more safe, is the safer, I should say better English, is the safer structure for you to grow and develop on. But if you don't learn that in advance of needing to know it, you will be the effect of what you don't know. And that's why we exist is so that you're not the effect of what you don't know, because it's what you don't know that will often keep you from being what you want to be.
Well, I was just going to say, you know, you and I both know that PT schools are phenomenal at covering all aspects of business development and executive skills and communication <laughs> styles and how to handle conflict and all these other things, right? Oh, yeah. You know, and that's the kind of stuff that I think until you get out in the world and just experience it for yourself, you know, you, yep. you don't realize it's missing until it hits you one day, I think. Um, and as you mentioned, that's exactly where people like you come in is, you know, you've kind of yeah. built in a foolproof plan, really, to check yeah. the boxes of things that were missed in school for people who are interested, because it's better to, you know, go at it with some kind of plan or at least have some kind of mentor or coach. Um, I yes. mean, I look at I look at the fitness industry as a great parallel. You know, I have friends who are competitive bodybuilders and they hire coaches. And right. a lot of people would say, well, they're a competitive bodybuilder. You know, they're a certified personal trainer. They're a strength coach, whatever. Why is it that they're still hiring a coach when they know what they're doing? And it's like, well, maybe they do know what they're doing when they're training someone else, but there's almost like a, um, I don't know what the correct term is, like a fallacy almost, or we we don't do, we don't always do as well training ourselves as we do training others, I would say. Of course not. I mean, there's a reason why Tom Brady has a coach, right? I mean, one of the best quarterbacks of all times has a quarterback coach. The purpose of a coach is to get you to perform at a level that you would never otherwise perform at if left to your own accord. So that's the whole idea. But what I discovered was, you know, consulting is dead. Like, I'm not a fan of consulting. You know, you pay a bunch of money. They come in, give you a bunch of bright ideas, leave you with a binder. They're on to the next city, on to the next person. Good luck with that. You're no concern of theirs. That's what I didn't want to be. I wanted to create a company where I could give you all the educational tools and make it available to you 24-7, 365 days a year. It had to be web-based. Then I wanted to make sure that you actually had to show competency in it. You have to pass quizzes. You have to do assignments. And then I wanted to make sure, just like in PT school, education, we went to lecture. Then duplication, we went to lab. And then application, we went to our affiliations. So duplication, uh, education, duplication, application. And I, I created the same format within Meg Academy so that you have to show role play. You literally have to do role play. And then last but not least, we assign a live coach. I get people on my lines for 15 to 20 minutes every single day, cost them nothing. And we bounce ideas. We have a Slack channel where all the other owners can chime in and answer on those ideas. I mean, that's why you do this podcast, right, Daniel, is to stimulate thought, to stimulate creative ideas and, and, and to energize people to do what's best for them. You podcast, I podcast, we don't get paid to do these things, but we do it because in our heart, we want to help advance others to live the life that they could possibly achieve, that they may not be confident that they can do it on their own. That's why you and I do what we do. Don't worry about doing it on your own. It's not about doing it on your own. It's about surrounding yourself with the people who want to see you win and succeed. And you said it when you said, when you go to leave your job, what do most people tell you? I can tell you nine out of 10 people are going to tell you you're crazy because they're not going to leave their job to do it. That's why only 10% of the global population are people that are true leaders and entrepreneurs and can start a business and succeed. 85% of all businesses fail in the first two years and 80% of those fail in the next five years. Unless you get coaching, mentoring, grooming, training, you know, that's how you become a successful PT, right? Mentoring and education. Yeah, definitely. And I would even say it's better to invest more in the yeah. mentorship and coaching early on than say equipping the clinic. Um, I just think back to probably about two years ago, I worked with a individual named Kyle Bowling on the podcast and he shared a little bit about how he got started uh, with his own chiropractic clinic. And he literally started with a table and a office space that he rented. 
Uh, that was it. He didn't have any, you know, $2,000 game ready. He didn't have any, you know, $5,000 this or $1,000 this. Didn't have a power rack. None of the fancy bells and whistles. He literally started with a table. Um, but naturally, if you keep your cost of startup low, that allows you a lot more time and ability to invest in learning and bettering yourself up here. Uh, which is going to lead you to more success later on in life. Because ultimately, you know, entrepreneurship is not a sprint. It's a marathon. You're not going to, as you mentioned before, you probably won't peak until about 10 years in business. So right. why go at it so quick out of the gates that you expect you're going to win year one, when in reality, it's about the big picture? I think you hit the nail on the head with that. It, we like to call it the infinite game. There is no finite game here. There's no spiking the ball in the end zone. It's about how you want your life to be. How do you want to live your life? You know, I knew when I was working 15 hours a week and I had the rest of the time to myself and I was making more money than I ever did before. So I had that financial stability and I had that optimum time flexibility. I knew I've achieved freedom. And for me, that was always my purpose for in business. I always, always believed being in business would afford me the freedom that I wanted us to have with my friends and family. And, and it just needed to be that way. I, I just wasn't one who felt comfortable in that strict environment of being an employee. So um, to me, that's what always motivated me was to, to reach out and, and strive for that and, and strive to have that financial stability, be smart with the money management, meet the reserves, set, set money aside. But, you know, it was all about the time. Like it afforded me the time to spend with my kids and it afforded me to raise girls who are not afraid to start their own businesses and do their own things. And they have the courage and they don't even think twice about it. You know, it's just very natural for them. So I hope podcasts like this and, and like mine, I hope it encourages people who are thinking and talking about it, talking about it, talking about it, thinking, thinking, thinking. I hope it gets them to stop thinking and talking and get into action. It's just like you did PT school. You got all the training and steps and then you started treating patients. Brian, this has been an amazing episode and I really appreciate your insight and advice that you've offered. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks or anything that we didn't touch on that you want the listeners to really take away? Yeah, I guess what I would say is um, I remember back when I started my practice and I was in debt and I was, you know, three years into it and it was just going so bad. And I put my head in my hands and I remember saying to myself, I said, God, I would pay anybody anything if they could come here and just show me how this is done. Because I said to myself, I know there's thousands of owners around the country that are doing really well right now. And I'm just not one of them. And when I came to terms with the fact that I didn't know everything, but I was very willing and able, but I just didn't know everything, that's when I realized I could succeed because I realized it wasn't, it wasn't as hard as I was making it. It was just that things were eluding me. And, and my parting words are this, what eluded me most was like Zig Ziglar said, if you want to have what you want to have, you can only have it after you've helped those around you have what they want to have first. And when I started putting my attention outside of myself and started investing in the people around me by ensuring that they were winning and they were succeeding both personally and professionally, career-wise and, and happiness in their lives, when I started making myself not the center of my efforts, but secondary to how many lives can I help? How many patients can I help? How, what kind of 
you know, I ended up doing PT, OT speech for children and adults and personal fitness training and aquatic therapy because those were the needs and wants of my community. And we had career days and we had, you know, a festival every fall. We were in the 4th of July parade and we did, you know, charity after charity, polar bear plunge, arthritis foundation plunge. When we were known and recognizably connected to that flow of outward flowing, not trying to sell and, and bring things in, that changed everything. So my message to all of you is giving to others is far more beneficial to you than what others can give to you. You will be far more successful if you find more ways to give to others in the course of your business and your profession, whatever business that may be that you do, you will be far more successful if your attention is there. Give more value than you ever expect in return. My favorite book, The Go-Giver Book by John David Mann and Bob Berg. I recommend everybody read that. We live our, our whole life by those values. Uh, that's awesome advice, Brian. That's great insight. And uh, I, I can't echo your point enough about, you know, putting others first in all endeavors of life, because as you mentioned, that's going to create a very fulfilling life for yourself, and it will lead to success in many endeavors. Now, speaking of um, giving, I know you've mentioned your business a few times, where can people find your business at your podcast and all the other amazing resources that you guys are giving out? Oh, that's awesome. Thank you, Daniel. Um, anybody can go to any podcast platform and put in physical therapy, private practice, secrets of the top 10%. Um, we won practice a year and then I judged the next top 10% winners for the next five years. So that's how we got that name. Our website is www.megbusiness.com, megbusiness.com. We have a little tutorial there. You can get into Meg Academy. There's a 12 minute video. You can literally see what it's all about. And our hottest, fastest growing aspect of our business Honestly, because the academy and training is just steady, Eddie. We just keep training more and more people every month. But boy, virtual front desk. So many people are like, oh, it's costing me $20 an hour. I had somebody tell me they're paying $26 an hour front, to, front desk receptionist only for them to stay six months and leave and the turnover and the headaches and the drama. Virtual front desk is our fastest growing side of our company right now. We have people literally coming from everywhere. They want to outsource, only pay for what they use. And we do billing as well, which is great because we do physical therapy billing exclusively, not medical billers, just physical therapy billers. So thank you for putting a little plug out there for our services. If we can help anybody with any of those, just reach out to us. You can have a free you know, one hour call with myself. We call it a practice assessment call. Happy to meet you and talk about what's going on in your life. I mean, plain and simple, it sounds like you've got all the systems in place, all the tools that people need. All they really have to do is make a call and get rolling, right? That's it, really. Yep, that's it. That's actually what took me uh, a couple minutes to get over here to you. I was just finishing <laughs> up with somebody in New York. And uh, that's it. It, it. The more lives we can touch and change, the, the better day it is on this planet for us. Definitely. Brian, it's been a pleasure having you on. Really appreciate your time and experience and insight. Awesome. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for what you do. And thank you for your listeners. I know time is precious. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.